the convention collective Sandbox at the ICE International Comic Expo, Brighton 2019. Right, so yeah, quick introduction. Uh, my name is Lennon Sultana. I run a website called The Convention Collective, which is all about uh, comics, uh, comic conventions, uh, com culture, uh, the uh, things that we do to celebrate uh, these uh, uh, creators that uh, uh, entertain us. And it has allowed me to uh, get to speak to some fantastic people, including our two of four guests that we have on our uh, 2018 panel. Can you please make some noise? Yeah, do you want to move a little bit further <laughs> together? Well, no, no, I was yeah. just saying these are our two we guests. Did. This is deliberate. How, yeah, how, much do you, how much do you actually like each other? There you go. That kind of uh, um, set up. Um, we have, uh, at the end of the table, Mr. Glenn Fabry, everybody. Who is, of course, um, um, artist on Slain on 2018, and also um, cover artist for... Uh, a preacher and a hellblazer, and uh, has been a prolific artist over his career. Uh, we also have, uh, on this end, uh, we have ourselves Clint Langley, everybody. Yeah. Artist on Dread and ABC Warriors, which was my particular uh, gateway uh, drug when it came to 2008. Uh, so it's a pleasure to meet you and uh, have you on our uh, panel. And we also have uh, Mr. Dan Cornwall, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. He's an uh, artist on Dread, um, and uh, okay, he's, he's playing Mother, which is great. Fantastic. So what we have, the, the title of the panel is 2080 Past, Present and Future, um, which is, I think, an interesting subject to get into, purely because of where we are with 2080, and indeed with comics in general, uh, because it's something that I find interesting certainly going to conventions and seeing the audience that are reading comics today and reading 2008 considering that when i was growing up it was the book for and comic for kids it was very much the young rebellion it was the youth coming through and yet we are now in a period where comics are being read by people of my age is not a little bit younger, that'd be everybody else, <laughs> so that'd be great. Uh, but we'll um, get into that in a second. We'll start, I suppose, with, um, I just wanted to ask, do you have your favourite Pat Mills story? Do you have a favourite Pat Mills story that you can relate to us? Yes, I do. <laughs> yes, I do. And this is, uh, this is actually all quite uh, exciting. I mean, I was, um, I was doing a painting... Uh, I mean, Simon had uh, obviously did very, very well with the Horned God, painted version yep. of Slain and all that kind of thing. And then he went off to rule the world in America and all of that. And uh, they needed somebody to do another painted version of Slain, so they gave me a shout. So I did uh, this kind of demon killer uh, sort of story for quite some bit. And uh, while I was over there, Pat had just broken up with his wife Angie, and um, he kind of, he was a little bit disconsolent and he was going around the country and sort of seeing people that, uh, people, people generally get in contact with him, you know, either to try and get jobs in comics or not just that because he does that sort of research and plays in different areas in order to sort of follow up sort of storylines and whatnot. So anyway, I'm uh, sort of sitting down in the basement flat in bloody, uh, <coughs> Uh oh, what is it? Um, King's Road in Brighton. That's just just down the road, sort of basically. Had a basement flat down there on the seafront, and I'm not sort of down there, and I'm sort of uh, doing my work. And you know, I sort of have a phone call from Pat. I sort of say, "Oh, I'm in the area. Do you want to come round and visit?" I said, "No, no, because what I've been doing and all of that." So he comes round, and. Uh, you know, he sort of explains that, you know, him and Angie broken up after 25 years of marriage, it's all very depressing and all of that. And what he decided to do was that uh, he'd go around and see different people who got in contact with him over the years. And he'd just come back the day before from these people who had been getting in contact with him about UFOs. And he said, well, you know, this guy's been sort of sending me letters about UFOs and, you know, sort of Glastonbury and all of the, with these kind of things for ages and ages and ages. And this is just, you know, basically what Pat Mills told me. I've got no ability to kind of prove it to be true in any which way or another. 
this is literally what he told me. <clears throat> he said, he went to see these people who had been in contact with him, got in contact with him through Fleetway, and uh, they got his address, and he was driving by, and he found their address. And he rang on the bell and walked in, and the windows were painted black. Inside, the walls were painted black. Everything inside the house was basically black. There wasn't any kind of light bits in it at all. And all the people who lived there were incredibly pale, but they all wore black. And they, uh, there was uh, like a family of about like, sort of four of them. Uh, this is Pat Stewart. And he came out and he was like sort of chatting with them and all this kind of thing. And, uh, you know, it's sort of a kind of winter, so it's four o'clock in the afternoon and the sun's kind of gone down. And, you know, the, the, <laughs> the man of the family like, sort of says to Pat, would you like to see them? <laughs> so that's kind of going, see what? I said, no, no, come out into the garden and you can see them. And I sort of, Pat's going, oh, they're all right. He'd been talking about UFOs and stuff like that. At this point, Pat realises that these people are all bonkers. <laughs> and it's probably very unwise to stay in their vicinity. <laughs> but uh, they take him out into the garden and this kind of thing. And he's kind of looking around and they're kind of going, oh, they'll be along in a minute. And he's going, oh, right, well, uh, how near we are to the airport? <laughs> and this kind of stuff. And he says, oh, no, wait, no, look. And Pat's, this is what Pat said. He said he turned round and there was this kind of gl a glowing ball, like a glowing ball of something. And Pat was looking at it and he was kind of thinking... Just how fragile that, state that, of mind that. am I in? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, you know, I thought maybe they're giving him some drugs or fuck knows, but he was like, sort of, there, there's nothing that can possibly be unless it's some kind of unexplained fucking object. And it was kind of there like that, or kind of going around like this. And Pat was saying that he sort of stared at it for about five minutes and then it went whoosh. And uh, then the rest of the family came up to him and uh, sort of said, if you come tomorrow, they'll speak to you. <laughs> and that's when, he did, that's when he decided that he'd visit me in Brighton for a bit. <laughs> <laughs> but that was the story he told me, you know, so quite seriously. Oh, fantastic. Uh, OK. Do you have a... Uh, I have to say, I, I, you, I, know, that, I, I know this story. Oh, I know okay. this story, yeah. Um, Gosh, not a story that I'd really want to tell. Um, <laughs> because I think... And not one which well, would get me much more work. Yeah, I mean, I think when we, as fans, uh, look, in, and look into the, the history of uh, 2018, we hear about Pat Mills. I think the, the volatile nature of, it, of him uh, is what we kind of hear of the most. That kind of very passionate... Yeah. Um, but um, he, he, he would chew you out. I'm just wondering, did you ever get on the receiving end of a... What was it? A Mills bomb, as was uh, described. Uh, I, I've had I've had Mills bombs. You have uh, had yeah, one. Yeah, not not too many, but um, but yes, I've, I mean, I've had a pretty good relationship with Pat mm. over the years. Um, but I think you, he, he has a very firm idea of what he wants, and if you deviate or fuck him around on it, um, he, he can certainly make you know. Yeah. Um, but but generally speaking, I, I, I think I think there is this reputation that he chews mm. people out. But if you get on with him and you work with him, yeah. it's uh, no, it's, a, it's a great working relationship. I'm not sure that's the same for you. Did you? No, did it you was really good. It was a really good working relationship. Um, I'd say the very kind of last few episodes that I was doing of the painted demon killer mm. thing, and you know, I just had kids. You know, I just had a little boy and a little girl. But there was this bit. I mean, Slane's always hated the Romans, mm. and the whole thing about Demon Killer was that he could do a Doctor Who with a kind of wicked cauldron as a TARDIS and travel forward in time so he could twat some Romans. <laughs> and, you know, sort of Pat wasn't very keen on the Romans for whatever reason. And uh, anyway, so there's this bit, he, you know, sort of Slane gets to meet Boudicca, Boudicca, you know, and uh, they're all kind of chumming up, and oh, the Romans have been awful to us. <laughs> and. Uh, Slain all of a sudden sort of uh, decides he's going to kill Romans, but he's not just going to kill the Romans, he's going to kill their wives and women and children. And all of this, and it was kind of reading you because know, there's a scene there where perhaps Slain's actually got like his big brain bite a battle axe or whatever the fuck it is, and he's about to cut this little two year old girl in half. And I'm kind of reading this, and I, and I sort of I said, Oh, he, don't want to do this. I've been working on Slane for the last like sort of 
eight, nine years, you know, the, the slain that I was working on would be the guy protecting the two-year-old girl. Admittedly, he might be a bit drunk or whatever the fuck, but, you know. He wouldn't be the guy cutting the little girl in half. And I, I said this to Pat, and he just went, Don't tell me how to write! <laughs> Don't you dare fucking tell me how to write! This kind of stuff. So I went on a fucking rant about it. And, you know, I just kind of thought, mm, bollocks. <laughs> no, I no, for the last two episodes, it's just now. Oh, no, I don't want to do it anymore because the slain I was working on wasn't the slain that would kill a little girl. Yeah, and you know, just having a little girl myself, you yeah. know, sort of thing. <laughs> so, yeah. I, that, um, that was the thing. He, I'm not sure if I think it was him who told me that you used um, asterisks as your reference for the Romans. <laughs> it was very difficult for me to find correct reference to the Romans because there wasn't any Google there wasn't any Google there wasn't any DVD the best you could do to get any fucking reference for things it was like sort of go to a library and the nearest bloody library in Brighton was about five miles away from where I lived so you know I was just to I did have a collection of asterisk books <laughs> but at least I know that that's how their uniforms sort of look so I used uh, you watched, it worked, it worked, it worked. You watched the life of Brian a lot. <laughs> well, the thing is, if you, if you got, you know, back then, it, the best you could hope for, like, sort of freeze frame reference, because there's no Google on the laptop, and uh, with DVDs you can freeze frame, it stays there forever. It's all perfectly crystal clear. But with video recorders, you put it on pause, and it would stay all right for about five minutes, and then it would stop going, <laughs> and then it would chew up and eat your tape. So I'd have probably had to go through about eight different copies of Life of Brian. <laughs> <laughs> Two frigging frames done, you know. Oh, well. So Asterix it was. Asterix! For yourself, Dan, um, obviously different editorial um, person. Um, who was your editor when you were doing Tread? Editor? Uh, yeah. Uh, the writer or the editor? The editor. Uh, Matt Smith. It was Matt Smith. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, what was the relationship with, um, at that point, with working with 2000 AD? Because it certainly feels... Like the 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 way that um, writers and the creatives interact with uh, have worked with two thousand eighty has evolved over mm. the years, and it's certainly become more obviously a, a little bit more of a, um, a forward thinking company. In yeah, the people that uh, that you're working with. Now, but what's been the kind of uh, relationship that you've had? I'd have to be honest. There's not been much of a relationship. You can't really? have. You no, know, I got the I got the gig <laughs> through John. John twisting Matt's arm somewhat. <laughs> And at the 40th in London, Matt came over to the table I was sitting at with John and told me that you're working on Dread. Your next job is working on Dread. So doesn't sound like there's much of a wiggle room on that. And, and, and he's quite a quiet chap, isn't he, Matt Smith? He's quite introvert, I suppose, maybe. But he, he, he didn't say too much. He said, oh, yeah, he goes, how many pages can you do in a week? And I think I said five, I think. And he went, great, great. And... Um, and that was it. And then email-wise, John wrote the story. Matt sent it me. He goes, "I'll just get on with it." And you know, I was expecting a lot of feedback from you the were pages. Expecting of... a bit more of a well, a bit, but, yeah, yeah, it's very. My personal experience of Matt Smith, as far as all that kind of stuff is concerned, he never praises you for anything. He did. He did to me did once. He? Once, and then when I told who I can't remember I was sitting with, and I told whoever the artists are, goes, "No, oh, he said you liked some of my pages," and they all looked at me with daggers. <laughs> really? <laughs> and I was like. Yeah. No, it'd be that's acceptable. He said he said he said he really liked one of the panels I've done. He goes, I love that panel of dread you've done. Really good work. Ooh. Have you kept see, see. have you kept that in frame? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I saved them all, save all those emails. Wow. Um, but more, I think John had more for saying what was going on with that anyway. Yeah. Okay. Um, two thousand AD obviously has a massive place in British comics. How much of when you were putting pen, uh, pen to paper, did you have an understanding of how much impact um, was going beyond um, not only the British comic scene but further afield and people were understanding uh, and recognising the influence of 2000 AD, not only just in this country but also further afield? Did you get a sense of um, where 2000 AD was in? Everybody, everybody seemed to buy it when, when it, it was, was really, the, really cheap. To, you got it was sales. really, really cheap. It was on bog paper. The art was really incredibly good, which was yeah. you know more than you could have expected from a British yeah. comic at that time. And um, yeah, the stories were fantastic, and the characters were just like a 
very punk rock. And it was all like a very sort of punk rock period. And, you know, I was an art student at the time. Nobody had any fucking money. And quite a lot of the people I knew from my hometown, like Walton Thames, they were unemployed. And what they'd do is they'd, the crappy money they got from their unemployment, you know, they'd try and spend it on food or whatever. You know. But they'd make sure they had their 25p every Saturday for 2000 AD. And I, I realised it was like sort of quite a big deal just from, you know, that kind of stuff. And it was really cool, wasn't it? I mm. remember but like, yeah. back in... What was your first kind of uh, impact on... Two what was the first kind of experience of 2000 AD that you had? Um, well, I saw, I saw it when I was seven. And uh, I think it was 2000 AD, or it could have been Star-Lord. It was a Carlos Escara's cover. Yeah. And my mum wouldn't buy it for me. Um, so I stole it. But in that <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 like Lynn said, I think he just stood out from everything else I'd mm. seen in comics. Um, sort of even the Yanks, it was even better than the Yanks stuff, like your Spider-Man. Well, the, 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 I always yeah. thought that was very, not dissing the artwork in the American comics at that time, mm. but it was very... It, it, just when I first saw 2000 AD, it was when I was doing a paper run and I picked it up to put it in the paper. Mm. And it was a, a business cover. Mm. All right. Slaying cover. And I, I remember I, as I was doing the paper and I was flicking through it and it blew my mind. Because every story in that in that issue, the artwork, because mm. I wasn't reading it, I was just looking at the pictures at the time, yeah. just blew my socks off. Because I was reading like, things like Spider-Man at the time, and the, mm. the, the artwork never blew you away, mm. for me. Yeah, yeah I, I remember as well, I was at art college when Simon's uh, Horn God came out. It's stunning. And I, I would go to the newsagents, and I literally couldn't bear to look mm. each week, because it just seemed to get better and better. As a sort of you know a young artist wanting to get into the industry, it, it was almost when soul, I saw it, soul, I, I, soul destroying. Yeah, I was going to say I, you look at and your and your work on it. I, I always should look at it. Yeah, no chance, no chance. Yeah, was it 2080 that kind of got you on that road to being a comic creator? Was it 100 percent definitely? hundred percent. Yeah. For yourself, Glenn, I mean, what was the kind of the introduction into 2080 for yourself? Um. <coughs> Well, I did an illustration course in art college, mm -hmm. and one of my friends at art college, uh, I'll, I'll try and make the story as short and unconfusing as possible, you know, because it, it gets quite, you know, sort of tangled up. But um, he liked comics, and I liked comics. All our tutors and everybody in the illustration course, they looked at comics like it was complete bollocks. So we used to get fed up with the way they were kind of dissing people and we do things which like book, which comics was this? Was this like oh, just no, but, no, just like everybody, you know, the people who are running the course and uh, the tutors that we get and all that kind of thing. Uh, they would just be sort of slagging it all off and like, sort of saying how, how rubbish the entire sort of system was. And I was kind of thinking, oh, I like comics and I like figurative art. But the first thing they told, you know, they saw, saw my portfolio in art college. The first thing they told me was that, uh, don't you realise that the invention of the camera has made figurative art redundant. You know, so it's just like, so it's like, well, the only thing I want to do is fucking figurative art. You know, it's about, you know. So anyway, uh, me and my mate, who was a really good electric guitarist for a pub rock band, the drummer of his band, Bam Bam, <laughs> named after the character from the Flintstones, worked at a printer's. And uh, Steve just sort of basically said to me, do you know what, they've been slagging off comics and all this stuff, let's make a comic. So we decided to make and draw our own comic. We've got a couple of friends in with us and a couple of the other students and things like that. So we made a sort of comic and printed out 500 copies of it and, you know, just like to sort of prove we're doing something slightly different from mm -hmm. the illustration course. I mean, we got a pass. So we didn't get any credit or anything, but, you know, pass, you passed. But we had 500 copies of this useless comic hanging around. So we thought what we'd do is like sort of go up to London, which wasn't that far away, and try and flog it off at one of the comic shops. And uh, the closest thing they had, I mean, I don't think Forbidden Planet was even open then. It was that Dark They Were and Golden Eye. Yes. Do you remember Dark They Were and Golden Eye? Because the guy behind the till at Dark They Were and Golden Eye is where you get the fat comic book guy from The Simpsons from, because Matt Gronig used to live in London. And that guy really was the fat comic guy from The Simpsons in real life. But anyway, you know, he said, oh, I'll take 25 other comics and sort of stuff like that. So we had 25 of the comics in Dark that were in Golden Eyed and 
basically went up to a comic mark kind of around the corner was trying to flog off to people by just grabbing them by the back of the neck saying only 50p and uh, strangely enough uh, Brian Tolbert picked up a copy Brian Bolland picked up a copy wow. you know Dave Gibbons all these sort of people uh, Steve Dillon you know sort of You're dropping some names there <laughs> all of these people picked up copies of it and uh, <clears throat> when for some bizarre reason which I can never understand Pat Mills decided he wanted a new artist on Slain when he was he had Mike McMahon it's just unbelievable um, he was looking around for somebody. He said, I wanted somebody who's a bit more like a French artist, like Mebius. Mm. And Brian Tolbert like, sort of said, oh, this, this book here, he tries to draw a bit like Mebius, which at the time, indeed, was very influenced by that. And that's why I ended up getting the job in 2018. I always found that transition very <coughs> interesting, considering that, because um, I've uh, panel hosted film with Mark, mm. and he turned around and said when he first started doing Dread, mm. um, it, he was literally doing a carbon copy mm. of Ascara. Uh, yeah. To kind of not even so much to kind of alienate the uh, the readers or anything, but it was because mm. that's what he was told to do. He was going. Oh God! Yeah, no, they used to do that with Brian Bolland. Yeah. The first time that I went to, oh, what was it? Uh, it was a big fat guy. You know, uh, the editor. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, the Richard Burton. Richard Burton. Yeah, it's oh, okay. Richard Burton. There you go. <laughs> so I went over to him, and they were like sort of basically saying. Right, if you're going to be an artist for 2018, you need to draw like this. And they give you these original pages of Brian Bolland. <laughs> I saw original so take them back, study them, look at them, learn for that, and come back when you can draw like that. And uh, I said, no, I, I, I couldn't. Because I had, like, three cats at the time. <laughs> and if I took sort of, original artwork back from Brian bloody Bolland, they'll be knocking coffee over it, they'll be doing all sorts of stuff. <laughs> I couldn't deal with the pressure. Yeah. So, you know, I just sort of got on with what I was doing. The story I'm working on at the moment, um, the writer said to me, I'll uh, uh, try and draw these pages, either like McMahon or Scare, and I was like, oh, right, yeah, I'll just knock that out, you know. So, <laughs> so I just ignored it, but just done my own thing. Yeah, that's the best I can't, way to I can't, do it. I can't draw like that. That's yeah. not my style. Well, actually, that was yeah. going to be the question I was going to ask you in, um, in that regard, in kind of how much are you kind of encouraged to really look back at the lineage, the canon of the previous stories, because we are talking decades of mm. great story work, but there's obviously all of those threads that you have to kind of uh, weave yeah. together. How much kind of, how hard is that to kind of to do? Or, well, do you, or is it a case of, well, I've, no, I've read it, actually. Well, <laughs> don't actually do. I've done, my own, I've done my own research. Well, some of the stuff, like the story I've done, like I, I'm probably going to get some evils here. I've never heard of Shuggy. Okay. Because I wasn't reading it back in the day. Mm. Um, the only shaggy I know about the black is so I drew all these shaggy tables like Guy Adams described them mm. so I, I, I drew them and, um, and then Matt sent me an email saying uh, no you've got to change all of them and all these pages I've done all the shaggy tables basically pool tables aren't they but different so I had to change all of them but I, you can't have because a lot of the stories do reference back to old stuff mm. don't they and uh, I haven't got the entire library back catalogue of 2008. I've got a lot of it, but not all of it. Mm, yeah. When it came to putting the uh, issues together, uh, obviously because it is, it's a machine and it really does churn through artists and writers on a weekly basis to just put the, the magazine out. Um, how much kind of preparation uh, into the arcs were you putting? Or was it a case of almost working week to week to kind of like balance the story? Well, how much for preparation were you doing on stories when you were doing them? What do you mean? I mean, would that be when you're working with another artist yeah, yeah, on the yeah, same yeah. series? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I mean Slane's different, obviously, because you you have one artist and then that artist gets yeah. kicked kicked off and then another artist comes mm -hmm. along. But I mean, I, I would, I would, I mean, I grew up looking Did at you Slane's, uh, sorry, Slane, I, <laughs> Glenn's work. And Glenn Slane is Slane to mm. me. And, uh, so there you go. I, t I took a, I took a <laughs> lot of I suppose the I don't know the mood hmm. um, that Glenn brought to it. But um, I think you have to just do your own thing with sure. 2018 because I think that's actually what. There's no point trying to be somebody else. No, ever. no. Yeah, and, it, and it's. I mean, it's good to learn from somebody. else. Yeah, I think it's like with Bisley. Bisley has a lot of people who have emulated him, hmm. and 
I think that's fine, but you've got to take it somewhere else. You've sure. Got to, you've got to, you've got to, I tried yeah. that. I tried that years ago. Yeah, I, was, I wanted to be a, a big busy clone, but I was so useless at painting. It was just nowhere near. So, so then you have to give up and you go, right, just do your own thing, like you say, become your own artist. Yeah. yeah. Well, I was, so 10, when you, when I was you 17 got... when I first started copying Nebius, and the reason why I started copying Nebius was because uh, I was really impressed by the stuff in Metal Hurlant, which was coming out in London at the time. You know, so so, so uh, I saw this kind of line style and I thought, oh, yeah, I quite like that. There's little kind of dots and these little kind of dashes and all this kind of thing, which apparently he stole from Jack Davis, the Mad Magazine artist. <laughs> He's on record as having said that. But anyway, I was trying to do that. And then more issues of Metal Herlant came out, and there were hundreds and hundreds of French people trying to do exactly mm. like Nebius. Mm. Everybody in France was trying to be a Nebius clone. So what I had to do was like, try and take the influence from Nebius and find something else to so like I used to try and copy it. some of your work, because you, you, the way you blend you know, the skin tones, and that, it was so smooth. It looked... Airbrush. I'm sure it wasn't all airbrush, but it looks so beautiful. And I'll try to do that with a paintbrush. And uh, you know, I think you you have to go you down your own route and become your own. And you, you, I think every artist will probably start off trying to be a clone of someone else. Sure. You, you you like that style, so you try and become that. But after time, you realise either you can't do that mm. or it's not getting you anywhere. Right. So you have to you, you become your own artist. Yeah, I just remembered. Actually, I don't know if, I don't think I've ever told you this, but I did a Judge Dread years ago. It was the first painted Judge Dread I'd, I'd done, and I was really I was only I'd only been working professionally for a couple of years. But one of the panels is a direct rip-off of a panel you did <laughs> and Slade. And I've got away with it for about 20 years. Until now. Until now. Oh, you have to point it out to me. Well, uh, that was going to be uh, the next question in terms of, like say, the references and the, the influences that you, uh, you have as artists. Was it, because you were in direct, you were working with uh, the other artists uh, on the, the book, would, uh, was it a case of, where were you drawing your influences from? at the, the time. I mean, do you have any... Just trying to be better than everyone else, I Jack, think. Yeah. Especially with Slane, I think you really, you have to... You're, you're just thrown into the deep end. You've got mm. McMahon and um, yourself. Oh, God. Now, taking over from McMahon, I still yeah. think that Sky yeah. Chariots is the best thing that's ever been printed in 2018. Mm. I've just got nothing but complete admiration for that. And my first ever job for 2018 was always taken over from him. Which is just like I can. Yeah, I See, I, I think Slain the King is the best. Um, I'm not. I'm not just kissing your ass. No, no, just because Mr. 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 is a very much a mutual admiration. Yeah. <laughs> so, there were, there were any artists that you were looking at at the time, or any any other comic artists that you were kind of looking at? Um, not just necessarily British, and not necessarily uh, 2000 AD. Were you looking at any American artists, or any who who was kind of like on your radar when you were doing what you were doing? Oh, uh, uh, Kent Williams, uh, Bill Shankovich, is, is that? Oh, yes. Yes. I was really into the, 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 the artwork which was coming out in the late 80s, like Arkham Asylum, when people were really sort of being, being very experimental. Yeah, a bit more fine art. And uh, Plus, also, I thought that was a really quick way of actually being quite lazy sometimes in sort of like just making it work. But... So like Ted McKeever, although my artwork doesn't look anything like Ted mm. McKeever's or, or Ted Williams. But you're getting a definite sense of that energy there's, and that There's style. an influence there, yeah, whether yeah. you see it or not, like Richard Corbin or something. Um, I was never sort of influenced by Frazetta, but I think that was I must have been influenced maybe when I was younger because I was always these magazines and uh, comics, in, not comics, books in the shops. Well, Bisley was incredibly influenced by yeah. Frazetta. Yeah, and you can see it, you know, when you, when you, you know and he's, he's made it his own style, hasn't he yeah. now? So, um, he said yeah, he met Frazetta about a year before Frazetta died. And he was, you know, sort of Frazetta's biggest fan and this kind of thing. And he bought his art and showed him. And Frazetta just sort of says, your muscles are too big! Your muscles are too big! It's rubbish! Yeah. <laughs> Shout him out because, you know, something had done very, very muscly. I used to like look at um, Atomo. The Kira graphic novels, and I used to see them, those, um, the line work in them. That's an interesting Blew me away because there's so much action in it. And he... Draw cityscapes like no one else can, I think. His architecture yeah. and um, and considering that was, um, you look at that, there's, there's designs in that, the designs of the vehicles, this city, and that's mid 80s, early 80s. Mm. And it's still, even now when you pick it up and you go through it, it's still futuristic now. Yeah. It's amazing stuff. Well, that's... six volumes of it. Yeah. Um, do you still read 2080? Yeah. 
obviously. <laughs> I, I get it. I'm yeah, a you, subscriber. Yeah. I look at it. Yeah. I, and I suppose I do really, but I've, I've always, because they send the comic to, to me, I always check out who's, you know, who's. I, I like it for the art. But sure. I do eventually read it, but I read it all back to front and, mm. you know, just eventually. Yeah, I don't, read, I, I don't read it on a weekly read. basis, like you say, I no, pick I mean, up a pile and... I'll read sort of page six and then think, oh, this is all right, and then go back mm. to page one and then think, oh, I didn't understand any of that. So, <laughs> <laughs> but no, I mean, I, I love it for the artwork, and, yeah. and of course, the writing is the, the writing is what actually creates these characters. Sure. Um, How do you yeah. see that the the magazine has evolved since your time working on it? I mean, certainly with uh, Glenn and Clint. I mean. How well, do you, how do you feel? How do you see the, the when you've read the, the, the issues that you've been sent and when you've seen an issue? How do you see how two thousand AD has evolved? Has um, evolved? Has it evolved for yourself? Well, I think it's or is it is it a case of it's very familiar in its um, in its layout and the way that it's it. The the uh, the fact that it is that anthology setup, it's very comforting to to know that you are going to be getting a series of stories. But do, have you seen how the artwork has developed? How do you see? How have you seen two thousand AD evolve? I just think it's evolved in a, in just the, it's allowed artists to bring in a sort of a variety of individual styles. Um, more more so than so any comic you, I know. It, it, you mm -hmm. have like. There's just so many different. Well, you can pick up you can pick up yeah. the magazine and if there's either artwork or stories you don't like. There's all, there's another yeah. three yeah. or four stories in there. You've got a choice. It's not like one you buy one magazine and if you don't like it, you don't like it. That's mm. it. It's, yeah. well, at least you've got a choice. It's got really <laughs> variable tone. Yeah. Well, that's, that's, I think that's what yeah. I was kind yeah. of leading on Sci -fi to. Sci-fi to slain. Mm. To, yeah. Yeah. I think certainly the thing I was trying to imply or get to when I was reading two thousand years as a kid, there was almost like a, a house style or a, a certain tone. A, 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 a very much an aggression and a, that kind of like that punk ethos as it were but in 2018 now it's going into all sorts of uh, storytelling styles and uh, being some esoteric uh, bits and pieces in there it's not uh, doesn't there's not all bombastic there's some really delicate stuff in there as well and I find that that's how 2018 has evolved for myself I'm just wondering if yeah, that I think it's because um, I think the readership I mean, the readership is a lot older, a lot more mature, and a lot right. more clued up, so they're more, more open. Well, I'm not saying more open, it's probably the wrong way to express it. I mean, kids, they just want explosions and naked women. <laughs> I still do. <laughs> <laughs> I just can't I mean, still that. that just sounds good to me. <laughs> yeah, it's 40s, man, I'm okay with that. Yeah, yeah but you know, well, you know, it's blood, die, Vulcans, tuka, 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 tuka. You know, that kind of thing. But uh, now the readership, I mean, what's the average over the readership now? It's about yeah. 35 or something. Yeah. So, and they're the young ones. Have those, yeah. Do you reckon the stories have matured as well? That's, yeah, there's going to be. The stories mature to, 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 yeah. to suit that audience. Yeah, I think so. Because I, I don't think it's any more. Uh, uh, um, we should get a bit more Vulcans. I don't, <laughs> <think> <laughs> exactly. I don't think it's any more risky. Um, do you think it, does it take the, the risks that it did? I don't know. I mean, when I was um, no, when Nemesis the Warlock mm -hmm. by Kevin O'Neill, I mean, there was some really quite, quite sort of out there stuff there. And uh, I think with, with with Slain, when Glenn was working on it, it was you know it was full on graphic nudity. Blood. I was trying to see how much I could get away with. We got away with <laughs> yeah, so Simon, Simon actually, when he did the because what they used to have, and this is Kevin O'Neill's first job at Fleetway was his job was to white the artist's signatures out of the yeah. you know, artwork with Tipex because you weren't allowed to have your name on the comics. So the one thing that 2008 did, did steal from, you know, uh, Stanley and you know, Marvel Bullish Sense and all this kind of stuff was giving the artists an like, art robot. So you're now an art robot. So you've got a recognisable name to whoever's art style, whoever's writing style, and you, you wanted to follow. And... Uh, yeah, Simon did uh, the Horned God in full colour. There was no way anybody would just go in there with some Tipex <laughs> and get rid of it. So he was doing this character called Slough Feg, which is a massive great big dong. <laughs> fully painted, sort of, hippopotamus penis you know, <laughs> all over it. 
I mean, I was just trying to get away with, oh, look, maybe they could tell there's almost half a nipple showing there. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but the painted kind of style thing. did allow for, for artists to get away with that stuff more because there's yeah. so much going on. Yeah. Have you ever been you censored? Well, I've been, um, have you been censored? Yeah, I have been censored. You have? Yeah. yeah. Um, I, yeah, I, I, I did a back cover for a role-playing game which they ended up selling in a... I had to sell it in a brown paper bag. <laughs> and, uh, and I did another piece as well where I had a, uh, a crucified woman who was half... Half women on one side and then the skeleton. And the other all stripped down to the skeleton. Again, in the paper bag. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. But not in 2000 AD, I don't think. I, I have got away with a few things. When I was younger, I think when you're younger, you want to draw. Yeah. This, you want to be a bit kind of, you know, out there. But you realise, actually, maybe that wasn't a good idea. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, one of the first... This is... Bear with me, because this is going to be a little bit about me for a second, but bear with it. Um, one of the first panels I ever did was a British Invasion panel. I did it at um, San Diego Comic-Con, and I did it with um, uh, with uh, some great creators that had been developed and nurtured at 2000 AD and had then moved on to American comics. There was this period in 2000 AD when it almost became kind of like this melting pot of comic artists and creators who would then use it as a springboard yeah. to American comics. And I think I'm uh, referring to certainly the period when you were working in the world, apparently. What was the atmosphere in 2000 AD for that time? Did it feel like the, the, no, comic was, was being, the, the magazine was being strip-mined for its talent? There was a certain amount of that kind of stuff going on. But the, you know, the main guy that seemed to be sort of doing that was a bloke called Archie Goodwin. He's a really, really lovely bloke from yeah. Marvel Comics. And I think the big successes... I mean, obviously, it was Alan Moore, mm -hmm. uh, David Gibbons. And, you know, actually, there were quite a few sort of 2000 AD artists that went over there. But... Um, the, the reason why I kind of fell by the wayside uh, when that was concerned, and Archie Moore, you know, uh, sorry, yeah, yeah, Archie, Archie Goodwin, uh, Archie Goodwin, yeah, yeah, sorry, yeah, I did I did uh, sort of speak with um, sort of Archie quite a few times, and he did like my artwork. He's very kind of keen on it. But if anybody in America was trying to get my stuff kind of printed, what would happen was that they'd go to a convention, and I'd be a guest at the convention, and what my dad said to me was, "There's no such thing in this world." as a free meal or a free drink. So every time anybody offered me a drink, I'd go, yeah, all right. So every single American person who ever came over to a convention always saw drunk Glenn Fabry. I think, well, no, we can't have that guy. No, Jesus Christ. No, no way, no way. And uh, it was only really sort of Garth Ennis getting employed yeah. that enabled me to get into the American market at all. Because I'd done some painted stories with Garth on uh, Revolver. Mm -hmm. And a couple of things on crisis, and you know, we got on really well. I mean, God, I bloody love that book. Yeah, I was, I, I was a massive crisis fan. I love that. Oh, book. god, you had Duncan for Grado in yeah. there since going over to America and this kind of stuff. Yeah, shitloads of people, yeah, really, really excellent stuff. And uh, yeah, anyway, uh, sort of Gar sort of said to uh, 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 Karen Berger, you know, Karen Berger was the editor of Vertigo at the time. He couldn't stand the guy who was doing the covers for the Hellblazer comic for him month on month. And Steve didn't have time to do them because he was just like sort of banging out all of the interiors. And Will Game of Thrones Simpson, of course, was working on them as well. Uh, Will Simpson, the comic artist, now works in the Game of Thrones. He does all the character design and storyboards for the Game of Thrones television programme, which is now the most successful television programme in this entire world ever. <laughs> so every time I talk about him nowadays, I call him Will Game of Thrones Simpson. <laughs> so anyway, uh, they got rid of the bloke who was doing these kind of manky collages, and uh, I knew that I had to really try and you know, convince people over in America that it just wasn't, it wasn't just this drunken git that made conventions. <laughs> and it kind of worked for a okay. bit. Um, I want to kind of open it up to everyone else as well if there's any questions from uh, the audience. So uh, do start thinking if there's a, a question you want to put to these guys about their books, about the, the stories, and about their, their time on 2080. Where do you see 2080 developing to? I mean, I think this is a little bit more relevant for yourself as someone who's worked uh, for the book most recently. Where do you see 2080 
evolving into? Do you, I mean, especially in the, the way that Rebellion is um, running the, the, the magazine at the moment, where do you see do you, do you see them kind of just sticking with the formula? I think they're in safe hands with Rebellion. They've really, they, they saved them, didn't they, really? Yeah. yeah. From yeah. Fleetway, was it? Fleetway? Mm. Um, it was, yes, it was. Was it? Eggmont. 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 Fleetway. Fleetway. IPC, Fleetway. Yeah. I think well, they saved okay. them from that. And they, they've, everything they seem to have done so far has been positive. And they're pushing it into other avenues, aren't they? You know, they've got the film studios now, so you're going to proceed. Yeah. Mm. Slaying Rogue, Rogue Trooper at the moment, isn't it? They're, 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 they're making Duncan Jones. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I think Duncan Jones doing Rogue Trooper. Yeah, yeah, yeah they are. Yeah, we saw Duncan. Jo- I, mean, I did Duncan a bit Jones. of work. I did a bit of work with Duncan Jones on this uh, sort of mute, this sort of graphic novel thing that never came out, and uh, then it he came out as a Netflix yeah. sort of thing. Came out on Netflix. So I met him quite a few times. And we were sort of working on these kind of projects. But the Don't last time, what, what you make of him? He's all right. He's a nice guy. Yeah. His, his wife is lovely. But <laughs> <laughs> she's really lovely. She's really, you know, you know, sort of lovely person. Okay. And it's like uh, um, originally it was going to be that he, he was a massive fan of Slane and he wanted to make the Slane movie, but then he had to deal with Pat. <laughs> and Pat is all kind of going, if anybody's going to be writing this movie, it's going to be me. Slane is mine. So you know what they're like in Hollywood. You know, they're all, Anybody who works in comic strips is obviously an amateur. They've got no bloody idea what's going on, what's any good. Which is why so many brilliant Alan Moore movies have been made. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's going to be interesting for the future of 2018. Like you say, the way that Rebellion have um, they've changed their marketing and certainly worked on getting the books, the, 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 vintage, the, the archives uh, out into, mm. uh, into the hands of uh, comics and kind of like almost just getting everyone back up to speed. Yeah. I think, I think the, the, the comic would always evolve. It's been sure. here for 40 years. Mm. 42 yeah. years, 42 years. And then when you've got these it, new, yeah. um, like you say, the, the Rogue Trooper and the, 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 the series that's coming out as well, I think that's going to bring new readership as well. And I'm, mm. I'm curious to see how that's going to change the they're, doing, they're, they're doing that dread as well for the younger readers as well. Yeah. So that's, that'd be good. You, know, you want more kids reading comics anyway. Mm. If, they, if they weird. direct them at the kids, that's great. Does, what, does that change the using? original ethos of the that punk ethos of the book? Well, could could is that, do, that, is could, that a good thing or, or do thing? kids read two thousand eighty now? That's I don't think you don't see you don't see because you don't see them in. Um, How many ki- have kids that read two thousand eighty? Anyone? That's not encouraging. I mean, adaptations of stuff, and makeovers and yeah. stuff, and like sort of things like that, yeah. doesn't improve the sales of comics anymore. Right. I mean, it used to be when Jurassic Park came out, they sort of bring out a special Jurassic Park version, drawn by Bill Kane, and you know all of that kind of stuff. And that sold a few copies, but nowadays people aren't going to go and see the Batman movie. Want to go and buy Batman comics? Mm. They're going to want to buy the Batman computer game. Mm. I met one kid once who came up to me. And he was a proper punk kid, must have been about seven. Nice. And he loved 2000 AD. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, I, I, you know, there are, I think, I'm not sure whether that came from his, you know, his, yeah. his father kind of pushing him or something like that. But my <laughs> house has read that. 2000 AD and comics everywhere. And, um, I think they do. I know yeah. a lot of kids under the age of 10 who read comics all the time. But do you think it's 2000 AD? I wonder, I wonder if oh, there's something. Like, yeah. 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 So would the, would, would, yeah, would, the, would the stories in today's <laughs> 2000 AD appeal to mm. younger reader? I don't think, um, possibly they probably wouldn't, because it's not aimed at the, that yeah. age. Because, <laughs> because, well, I think it's also yeah. down to the this kind of like the, the landscape that we're in, and the landscape that 2000 AD, the rise of 2000 AD was in. It was... Some, it was kicking against the pricks. It was you. There was something that you wanted to fight against. Mm-hmm. You'd think that in two thousand eight AD there would be a whole generation of kids that just want to just especially nowadays kick it all down, and yeah. th- 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 these then that would feed into mm. uh, the two thousand AD readership. Okay. Um, yeah. Any questions from our audience? To, has anyone got anything that you want to put to the guys? Okay. We've got two questions. We'll start. Uh, he, he got his hand up first. <laughs> Go for it, sir. Your name, your name and your question, please. Uh, my name's Michael, and I've got a question for Glenn. Hello. Um, your Hello. Slaying the King blew my mind when I was 10 or 11. Oh, sure. still blows my mind. It's one thing I, I can't quite get my head around. I wonder, are you a 
reincarnation of Jura or something. <laughs> Jura? Well, I, well, that leads me to my question. I, when you were all talking about your influences and who you've looked at and yeah. craft your work and so on, um, we didn't hear too much from you except the Mebus, Mebus, as you say. Could you just say a little bit more about how you went about producing those pages? Well, a kind of... The only kind of style I ended up with is kind of a style of me trying to do other people's styles badly, and you know, sort of find, they, they sort of found a way into what I was doing, what I was kind of achieving. So you know, mostly when I was younger, I really wanted to be like one of the animators in Walt Disney, like one of the animators of the Jungle Book, something like that. So when I was, you know, sort of nine, ten, you know, that kind of thing, I was doing like those of. Uh, kind of Disney-esque sketches. The one thing that I never did was I never copied, you see, because I can remember going to school and there'd be people who go, oh, I'm the greatest artist in the world, you're sitting there drawing, I'm the best artist here. And they'd just drag a picture out that they'd copied, obviously, from the Beano from the week before. And so in order to make sure that I didn't fall down that path, I decided that what I was going to do was going to make up my own characters and make up my own stuff. And you know, It's all very sad, <laughs> but you know, when I was about ten, um, the artist I wanted to be was Jack Davis from Mad Magazine. Uh -huh. Loved Jack Davis, and I really tried as hard as possible to uh, to be like him. So bits of that hung on, and then I was a big fan of Gil Kane from Spider Man from the 1960s, mm. 1970s, things like that. And I thought, right, I'm, I'm going to try and. Jack Davis, I'll try and draw like Joel Kane. But what happens is I was doing like Gil Kane influenced stuff, but bits of Jack Davis crept in <laughs> from the corner. And then when I saw Mebius when I was about 17, the first time I saw it, I was like, well, this is the way to probably do black and white artwork. Well, I started doing all of that. But what if I had some Gil Kane and some you know, Jack Davis and these other influences sort of coming in and sort of kind of taken up that area, so I'm, I'm just like a bad version of four or five people <laughs> all splattered together in a bucket. Mm. I think we'll all kind of disagree with you on that one, so <laughs> yeah. we'll deal with that. Your question, sir. Oh, yeah, okay. Um, yeah, well, I, I wonder, this is for the whole panel, really, uh, individually, uh, I wonder which um, character from 2018 that you haven't drawn is, is the character that you would like to draw. While they're thinking about that, <laughs> while I let them think about that, I'm just okay. rem reminded of uh, my first ICE um, event, and I came to see Carlos Esquera, and mm. I asked him if he could draw a, uh, um, a character from 2000 AD that he didn't draw himself. He said, I refuse. I refuse to do it. I will only do a character that I've ever drawn before. So he didn't draw Johnny Alpha, but he refused to do it. I think, I, I think I'd, I'd be useless at it. Slain. But my style really wouldn't. I, well, you wouldn't. Would, you'd bring that sort of a slightly. You've got a slight touch of Mike McMahon to your style, haven't you? So I think that would work. Well, that would I think, work. Yeah. I'm, I'm not saying, saying, yeah, saying that we all have to draw like Mike McMahon. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. You know, but I'd like and ABC Warriors. But again, I'm not sure. I just want it the ABC Warriors back as well. Like, like, I'd like to do slaying, but I, I don't think it'd ever happen because I'm not. That type of artist, if you know what I mean. I've only ever done Nemesis on comic strip conventions and things like that. Mm. I wouldn't mind doing a Nemesis strip. Mm. I think it's quite cool. Yeah, I know. Well, I mean, I, I I did a Nemesis strip, and I I was meant to then go on and finish the story, um, but that would be Nemesis would be something I'd like to have a proper shot at. Um, Can I ask, what, what is it about Nemesis the Warlock that? Because it's, it's just a, a crazy world, isn't it? Really, it's just completely <laughs> mental. There isn't yeah, anything. Yeah, you draw what you like. Sort of, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's sort of—it's like a wizard with a kind of a horse head that with like phallic. There were these days, and he's up against yeah. you know the Catholic Church, which is most yeah. kind of redundant. You know, well, it's obviously warped. not his most redundant. I mean, Strontium Dog is another one, but I think with Carlos. He set the standard. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, I mean, you could do a great. You know, I mean, there's other artists who have done Strontium Dog, and it's all very good. But you just still always, yeah, just cannot be. You know, it's, it's, it's not right if it's, it's not Carlos. Right. <laughs> I, I, I was drawing a sketch. I was doing a sketch of uh, Johnny Ever upstairs, and I just felt wrong doing it. 
Really? You just felt wrong. I thought I should be doing this. Yeah. Wow. Mum! Mum! Stop me! Okay. Um, we are going to wrap things up and let the uh, next panel move on. Uh, but I am going to finish on this because I'm curious to know if what you come up with. Um, reading into the history of 2000 AD and also watching the Future Shock uh, documentary, there seems to be a lot of disparaging of the Andy Diggle years. There seems to be, was there anything good that you felt came out of the Andy Diggle years as an editor? Um, were, you, were you working for them? Oh yeah, yeah, I was doing some work with them. Okay, um, my favourite Andy Diggle story is uh, there was a moment in my career when I fell out of a moving train. I'd gone up to uh, London to speak with Garth Ennis about doing the covers for uh, this new comic strip preacher that he was going to be sort of talking about. So I went up over there and uh, we were in the pub for a couple of hours. I think I must have you know, had four beers at the very, very most, which was like small whack for me yeah. at the time. And uh, I had to get from uh, Victoria Station back to uh, Brighton, like here. You know, I was living in Brighton at the time. And uh, I, I phoned up my, my wife, phoned up Nikki, and I sort of basically said that, um, you know, I'm only going to be about like an hour and a bit while they were getting back home. And um, see in a while. And I hung up the phone, and the train was really crowded. And it's those trains that had the kind of handles on the doors. If you guys are old enough to remember those, rather than the ones. They had like handles on them. So, anyways, really crowded and I can remember having to stand up and I was uh, doing the cryptic crossword in the newspaper and I can even remember the number of the clue that I was doing <laughs> it was going to be like sort of 15 down so I can remember looking at 15 down and then it's like a blink and over my eyes and I was being wheeled down a hospital corridor covered in blood and I knew it was Brighton because out the window I saw the gold cross in the church <laughs> you know, by the sort of hospital down there what the fuck was that? And anyway, yeah, obviously I was late that week with my <laughs> slain shipment. And, uh, you know, sort of Nicky was at home and I was stuck in the hospital, you know, full of drugs and all of hot splints and all sorts of shit. And uh, Andy Dougal phoned up and I sort of said, uh, where is Glenn's slain artwork? Where's Glenn's slain artwork? We need it now. Where is it? And she said, oh, I'm afraid he can't sort of send it off to you at the moment. So why can't he send it off at the moment? He fell out of a moving train. And Diggle said, that is the worst excuse <laughs> in my entire life. He's never going to write for this comic again. Slam the phone down. <laughs> that sounds like Andy Diggle. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Excellent story to finish on. I think it's been a pleasure to talk about um, the whole backstory of 2018. And we are looking forward to uh, many more years to come. Ladies and gentlemen, a round of applause, please, for Ken Bailey. Thank you.